Today, it's not a surprise to enter a home and see a furry little friend living there. There are plenty of options dogs, bunnies, hamsters, and the topic of our episode today cats. Our feline companions have been around for millennia, but how did they become our companions? And when did we start letting them live in our homes? Let's find out this week on the Gems of History podcast. See, now this is why we can't give the listeners too much control of the Patreon, because you sons of guns, I you... Just, I do love the fact that we've done this, this is our second listener episode, and we've yep. gone from literally the worst war crimes in the history of humanity yeah. to cats. Cats, <laughs> yeah, like the, the highs and lows, Let's like this is why we're a democracy on the show. Cover the spectrum while we're at it. You're not wrong, I mean, it's like... I'm just getting flashbacks from the History of Dogs episode. Well, naturally. Right, which, I mean, if you want to learn that, it's not... I'll admit, I did not... I was, You can go back and listen to it, to it, was, to it for yourself. That was early gems. I think that was, like... I'm, I'm not sure. kidding, like... Well, back in the day, we did... Mark, do a topic, you do a topic, I yeah. do a topic, or like whatever. And I think that was, like, my third or fourth, like, lead topic. I think it was... Before episode ten, oh my maybe, gosh, yeah, around there. But yeah, so. I literally just got Zuki, and I was like, you know what, dogs. Hey, we got it done. We put we, content out. There it was like a thirty-five minute episode. <laughs> there, <you? laughs> there was an episode that week. <laughs> there was yes, we gave the listeners a thing. Words were said into words a were said. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so they got something that week. But speaking of getting something, welcome to the Gems of History podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Jacob Shop. I'm joined by Evan Roosh. How are we doing? Good. Meow. Are you a cat lover? Do you like cats? I do like cats. I mean, I'm more of a dog person myself, but I mean, I've never met a feline that, you know, I've been opposed to. I mean, there is one cat that comes to mind. <laughs> if you remember a certain uh, guest who's been on here, their cat in grade school. Which Reggie? Yeah, I love yeah, Reg- I was, Reggie. I was wondering if you were talking about Reggie, but yeah, I wasn't sure. That one hated me. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, that cat was just like the most independent cat I think I've ever met. That like a friend of mine has owned. That is the great thing about cats. Like we're gonna be talking about how people committed, essentially, I guess if you want to say genocide <laughs> on cats, and I bet the entire time cats were like, whatever. Don't I mean, look at me. F off. If this is what you want to do, sure. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, I'm just going to go take a poop in a sandbox. But I think that's why I like cats is just because they kind of do their own thing and you don't really have to worry about them too much. How many cats have you had? Uh, boy. Growing up, we had like probably eight or nine different cats. I was going to say, yeah. And then my parents have two right now still. Right. So, but yeah, we had, all, we had quite a few in the house. I think the most we've ever had in our house at one point was three or four mm-hmm. i want to say when i was growing up but yeah they all, all were all pretty chill for them but they just sleep a lot oh totally i remember distinctly i forget the name sorry if it, if it passed it was the orange cat that you had growing up we had a like two or three orange two cats. or three yeah uh, we had pumpkin pumpkin was the most i think it might have been pumpkin but yeah I, we did like a sleepover i think it was me you and mark and i got up to go to the bathroom i came back and pumpkin was on the pillow 
<laughs> yep. And I'm like, well, that's that's just his now. I guess this. I guess we're sleeping together. Somewhere right? Now. <laughs> yeah. If you just scooch over and again, that cat aloofness, like whatever. Yep. Cats but, are just like goth. But. Yeah, but that's what got them in trouble. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So we're going to be talking about the history of cats today. This was another Patreon selected topic for our our podcast, and this was selected. Uh, in our poll, it was suggested by Nate. So thank you, Nate, for the suggestion. Yes, shout out, Nate. Um, if you, once again, want to be intru- er, included on choosing these topics for our monthly listener episodes, you can go join our Patreon, patri- patreon.com slash Gems of History Podcast. Just five bucks a month. So if you want to join in, and you can get included in all, all this fun. And then you can take us to whatever end of the spectrum from war crimes to pets that you want to be on the next one's gonna be like the history of the hinge (laughs) we're gonna dive into door hinge we're gonna i can't think of any other ones but we're gonna find out it's a good hinge tune in next month on the gems of (laughs) and the and the hinges of history podcast it's either gonna be that or it's gonna be like buchenwald (laughs) oh my god so we'll see but yeah, we're going to be going through, we're going to focus mainly on a couple portions of the history of cats, obviously Egypt. The, Egypt is probably the biggest one you think of when you think of who kind of took cats as an icon in their culture. And then also we're going to cover a, more of the darker period for cats during the Middle Ages when they got blamed for everything. Oh yeah, when when I chime in, I'm going to be talking about the cat <laughs> genocide, so yeah. Just do it on Hey, I gave you the option. <laughs> you could either do the happy Egypt times or you could do the dark Middle Ages. The thing is, I didn't even type that. I think Zuki took my phone and was like, <laughs> wrote, like you have to. <laughs> Arch rival. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the cats for this is so irrelevant. Remember the cats versus dogs movie growing up? No. Like it was like cats versus dogs. The bad guy was like a kitten named Sprinkles or something. It was I don't like a, remember this it was like a kids. All. It was a kids movie, but I remember it was fairly popular, at least to me. Cats versus dogs movie, two thousand and one. Wow, that is old. Yeah, I think. Okay, I vaguely remember this now. Right, I there think, was three of them. There's three of them. They made a yeah. trilogy. Cats, dogs, three. Paws unite. Basically the same as uh, well. There are also three Avengers movies. Which one? Ooh, which one grossed more the at pace. the box office? Jeff Goldblum was in this. Oh my god! Hey, wow. Wherever there's an animal in a movie, Jeff Goldblum. Toby McGuire. Shut. There's no way Toby McGuire. Like, does he do the voice acting? Yeah, he does voice acting for one of them. Wow, they got a star studded They got Alec Baldwin. There's a lot of Alec names Baldwin? in this movie. Holy cow. Well, really? Well, I guess that's why it slaps. Maybe that's another added to the list of. Uh, we have a lot of movies we got to watch. Right. Well, during the dog days of summer, maybe that can be a Patreon the, thing. You mean the cat days of summer? Meow. <laughs> Meowing on. Uh, well, I, I think we, we might as well just, you know, hop on in here, shall we? This is another classic like thing that we do. Like. <laughs> Let's hop on in. We're like eight minutes in. Minutes. <laughs> it's going to be a, dare I say, perfect episode. That has me felining something, <laughs> something great. I got nothing. Yeah. All right, let's just jump in. <laughs>
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So all domestic cats have a singular common ancestor. It was an eastern wildcat from the Fertile Crescent. And it's, I don't know if it's the familia, family, whatever the scientific term is for like oh, the, the Latin. group that they descended from. But the Latin name for it is Felis Silvestris Libica, which translates to cat of the woods. And that is the... Ancestor for literally every type of cat, every breed of cat that we know today. Which is very cool when you think about it. Again, referencing the, the dogs episode. Like, dogs came from wolves. Cats, by extension, most likely came from these badass, like, tiger-looking things. Yeah. That were bigger than today's giant tigers, right? Because, like, things were just huge before right, humans exactly. came and, like, called the populations. Well, and it is really interesting that you can trace it all back to literally a singular ancestor line. There's no really, not one or two offshoots that merged into getting domestic cats. They all kind of came from the same top down. That is really cool. It's also interesting just with adaptation, evolution, like, humans are progressively getting taller and bigger throughout history and our animals are getting smaller and smaller right like woolly mammoths are now these like little elephants comparatively yeah and like keeps on going so oh and, and we kind. just keep breeding them smaller and smaller right more petite and petite every dog and cat's gonna be a chihuahua size the process of domestication is believed to have begun for cats during the neolithic period which is long long time ago and in 1983, archaeologists found a cat's jawbone that dated back around eight to 9,000 years on the island of Cyprus. And granted, while this is useful for certain things, it is really hard to tell the difference between domesticated cat remains and wild cat remains. So they aren't really sure what that means necessarily. But regardless, finding the remains on an island led the scientists to believe that domestication of cats took place prior to the cats making it to that island. Oh, I was going to say, is there just, are you telling me that people, there was once an entire island just of no. cats? <laughs> no, that would, that be, would be incredible. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, uh, I want to say it's like there's a story about an island of lemurs that got connected yeah. by land bridge to like certain parts of Pangea, and that's kind of how we got lemurs everywhere. Right, yeah. So <laughs> it's like that story, except there's just an island of cats. Desmond Morris, an Egypt zoologist, put his belief into words in his book Cat World, a feline Cyclo encyclopedia, by saying, quote, a spitting, scratching, panic-stricken wild feline would have been the last kind of boat companion they would have wanted. Basically meaning that it makes sense that these people would have domesticated these cats before taking them on a ship, because <laughs> otherwise they just would have been wild cats freaking out on a boat. Oh, yeah. Cats, I imagine, even back then, hated water or even being on a boat yeah. <laughs> on water. <laughs> In the open air, yeah. Yeah. Later excavations on the island of Cyprus in 2004 made another discovery. 
a cat deliberately buried with a human that dated back another 1,500 years on top of that 1983 discovery. So almost 10,000 years ago. Which does not surprise me. Like, the love for animals started very early. Yeah, and I mean, as we'll get into, it started practically. But I mean, there's Mm -hmm. always going to be a little bit of affection for something that you kind of take care of and treat like part of your workforce even. It is very funny, like the flow chart, if you will, of which cats get to, or excuse me, which animals get to live in my home. It's like, does it have droopy ears? Yes. (laughs) Does it let me scratch its belly? Yes. Yes. And then we get to, does it bite me or will, like, like fatally harm me? We'll call those Maybe. and make them domesticated. <laughs> and then we got dogs and cats. By 2007, the estimates were placed around 12,000 years ago that the process of domestication really began, which is almost a full three millennia before the Cypress datings. And it may seem like a jump to go that far into the past, but it does make sense. Because since cats were likely to have been somewhat domesticated before the jump to island life, especially being found buried with humans, the summation that thousands of years precluded the discoveries on the island is pretty warranted. And it was also around this time when evidences of the first agricultural civilizations began to flourish in this Fertile Crescent area, which if you don't know where the Fertile Crescent is, it's located in the Middle Eastern areas, primarily near modern-day Turkey, Iraq, and Israel. And, shortly thereafter, Egypt. But we'll get to Egypt in a little bit. A cat's main counterpart, the dog, was domesticated before cats. But since dogs were using hunting endeavors before societies made the move to agriculture, so once that switch happened to being more of farming communities, it was essential to have a symbiotic relationship with cats. I'm just picturing so many, like, once that switch to agriculture happened, like, so many dogs are just like, Lost my job. What about me? What about me? <laughs> they took our job. They took our jobs. <laughs> yeah, there's just a bunch of dogs at the unemployment office. <laughs> and in like the Bronze Age, like either, outside the pyramids, like ting, 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 ting. Like, <laughs> it's either that or they were like, nice, finally a vacation. <laughs> right. They're just like, we can just drink out of the Nile and people will leave us alone. They're just watching everyone sweat under this hot sun, carrying giant blocks. Right. I am glad I don't have to do that. Maybe that's how the pyramids got built. They reinforced. Yeah, they (laughs) reinforced. The cats came along. Then they enslaved the dogs. And they had to build a monument to cats. The Sphinx. (laughs) What a turn of events. So let's break down step by step kind of how this situation would have played out. So first, you have societies begin to realize that hunting and gathering wasn't all they could do to survive, and they begin to grow their own stores of food. The next logical step is, hey, we need somewhere to store all of this food that we were growing, so storehouses are constructed. Now that you have a way to sustain your settlement without needing to constantly find a huntable source of food... But shortly after the crops and grains are stored in these storehouses, rodents begin to show up and they eat and infest the food, leaving it full of feces and germs that will infect the people and eventually diseases spread and the food is ruined. Yeah, can't have rodents of any kind, like mice, like weasels. You can't have that by your food source. No, what what we did for a long time during the Industrial Revolution. And then that guy wrote a book about it and everyone's like, hmm. We need to stop doing that. Very funny how relatively recent 
that change to like the FDA being like created. Yeah. Like that was under a hundred years ago and humans have been here for a long time. We should cover the history of the FDA because it's kind of wild. I always picture the first FDA FDA agents being like, you want me to monitor what? All of this? You want me like the entire food? This you, want, en- you want me to police food? This entire <laughs> construct we just built. You yeah. want me to, you want me to go through all of it. Right. <laughs> and they hand, they handed him a clipboard and like some sticky notes like we're not we can't give you a gun. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a musket. Yeah, right. The FDA guy is strapped. You can't afford to give you any of the good guns. Yeah, right. So once this disease starts spreading from all of these pests in your food, you start to notice that there's these cats kind of just hanging around. And they begin to start taking out the rodent population that's been plaguing your sediment. So you start rewarding them. You give them food scraps. You start petting them on the head. And they come, start coming around more often. The first purr from a cat probably had that Ooh. human, like, just so bewildered with excitement where they do that like little thing where they rub against your leg oh Oh, right yeah and they're like we are eternal friends guys are you seeing this you seeing this look at this thing (laughs) this was before (laughs) this was before like social media how did people know that dogs were cute if they didn't have their own social media profiles and cats and cats yeah (laughs) there's dedicated social media profiles for both of them oh yeah it's it's insane Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean one of the my Facebook started recommending me this guy from the UK. He moved from America to the UK, and he's got this deaf cat that he just takes in his basket on his bike through the streets of the UK. And the cat doesn't care about any of the noise because she's deaf. And so she just chills in this basket and rides around with him. And I started watching the videos, and now it's all I get suggested. And I'm so happy about it. That is, without a doubt, the most wholesome thing so cute. we've ever talked about. Yeah, so if, if you want to watch those, go look up Travis and Sigrid on uh, and S- anywhere. Oh, Sigrid. I think yeah. it's a Travis and Cigarette. Like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and it's a, like a pure white cat. <laughs> so, <laughs> that would be an ironic name. Yeah. So these new pest control units in the form of cats start to stick around, continuing to do their job, and then they're delighted by the abundance of hunting material and the new adoration they're getting from humans. One study author named Carlos Driscoll said that what happened was that cats probably almost domesticated themselves because the more of the the docile side of the cat population adapted to living with people, and then they began to breed more domesticated cats from those uh, more docile, more adaptable cats into the human lifestyle. And aside from a possible domestication of a leopard-style cat in China for a brief period of time, this area of the Fertile Crescent is the first evidence that we really have, which leads us to the road of where we are today. As these eastern wildcats began to coexist more freely with humans, and as humans began to interweave with one another, the same system of pest control took to the road. Cat remains found in port cities suggest that as ships moved across the Mediterranean and into other areas, cats would ride aboard these ships now that they are more friendly with humans and protect the food stores while on the sea. Cats then spread into new settlements, and slowly but surely they were spread all across the world as civilizations became more global. Cats showed up in China, Scotland, Rome, and of course, in Egypt. And ancient Egypt is one of the most well-known examples of a society endearing themselves to cats and even giving them a divine presence in their lives. I mean, you've... you've, 
<laughs> Run it back. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, those are all some of the most wealthy nations, wealthy areas, like of the time. Like when cats first come on the scene, just, like just quite simply because they're calling the pest problem. Yeah, like those like huge ports, like we talked about in Egypt and the others that you mentioned. Like cats were protecting them, yeah, <laughs> protecting your ships. You can't sell anything if it's infected by rodents. And so, like, cats were very much, like, a key part of being prosperous, if you will. Yeah. That's a very, let's call it bold statement, but, I mean, if they it did help, sense, Yeah, they, they help a lot. And, I mean, when you think about it, too, you're going from settlements to cities to empires, basically. Right. So, you've got to manage all of these resources across a vast landmass once you start attaining more land. And... This is an easy way to have to, or not have to really do anything extra. It's free. Yeah. yeah Cats were just like sardines. You just start shipping them throughout your empire, and then they kind of do their job as long as the people there treat them well. Right. So don't run them out of town. Yeah. So in ancient Egypt, the Egyptians really did admire cats. The dichotomy of the cat's personality being both individualistic and protective kind of mirrored that of the Egyptian deities. But this didn't mean that cats were worshipped in ancient Egypt, and likely they never were actually worshipped. But they were held in high esteem. It's a small difference, but it is kind of important to note because they didn't say that cats were gods, and that they never actually prayed to cats or anything like that. Right, yeah, that's definitely a when you think of Egypt, I would say that's one of those stereotypes, if you will. Yeah. Or I guess misconceptions that people are like, yeah, they, how can we trust anything from them? They worshipped a cat that licks itself. You yeah. Know? And I think just at the time, like most religions used images, and I'll talk about it a little bit later, they just use images of animals because, like, that's there. Yeah. Right. It's you want to associate something with your deity, whether it's the sun, whether it's a ram, whether it's a cat, I guess, in this. In this case, and not saying that you worship any of those things, but you just kind of like put imagery with what you know. Yeah, and it, it makes sense. I mean, cats are very, they're very uh, individualistic and protective, as I mentioned, and it makes sense to attach that to something like a god, because a god is above you. They're going to be their own person, but mm -hmm. they're also going to protect the people that are loyal to them. They're loyal subjects, if you will. So it makes sense to attach an entity like a cat versus a dog, because dogs kind of have that blind faith and blind loyalty to whoever their master is. Right. It's very funny that we, a huge misconception is that probably the most advanced civilization of human time, considering when they were in their heyday, like the Egyptian empires and the Egyptian society, we were like, man, they built the pyramids, but what silly gooses, what idiots for <laughs> worshiping cats. But it's like, they just didn't. I don't know if you've ever seen the meme where it was a, a picture of a cat and it's like, I used to be worshiped in ancient Egypt as a god. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then it's a cat today. And it's like, I threw up in the living room. You have to go clean it <laughs> you up. Know. You fed me too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Egyptians quickly realized that cats were extremely efficient hunters, not only of mice and pests, but these cats would also protect the humans from predators like scorpions or snakes. And in addition, female cat mothers showed great care for their offspring, which was a quality that appealed to the Egyptian culture as a whole. Our modern word cat is even said to originate from Egypt, who used the word kata 
or Kata, I don't know how you pronounce it specifically, which then moved to Greece and was changed to Gata, and eventually the Spanish word Gato or the German word Katze. And so you get all of these words that eventually morph into cat. Kitty cat, yeah. Yes, kitty cat. Frescoes and other art pieces help give us our best look into how domesticated cats were viewed by the Egyptians with images of cats confronting rats and eventually cats accompanying human owners on things like bird hunts. And these art pieces, which are mostly tomb paintings, show the shift from those outdoor hunts of rats to indoor cohabitation. But at the beginning, cats would be depicted underneath a wife's chair, symbolizing fertility and grace, and they complemented the dogs that would be depicted under the husband's chairs. So even from the beginning, cats were more associated with a feminine presence rather than a masculine presence. Which is very interesting considering they were depicted also on bird hunts, which is notoriously like a Labrador, like a dog thing. Yep. But in ancient Egypt, no, nah, it was the kitty cats. It, but uh, it is interesting that they, from the beginning, were like, these, these things can probably jump pretty far. Let's see if we can get them to kill birds. Yeah. <laughs> which is impressive. <laughs> One of the best evidences of the growing bonds between cats and humans comes in the form of cat sarcophagi. In 1350 BCE, for example, Prince Thutmos buried his feline friend in a beautifully decorated sarcophagus with a sacrificial table filled with meat and other sacrifices and an inscription on the sarcophagus stating, quote, I myself am placed among the imperishable ones that are in the sky, for I am Tamiu. The triumphant, end quote. I mean, I absolutely love that. <laughs> I am Tom Yu, the triumphant. That is one strong cat right there. <sighs> I wonder how many, like, sieges that cat laid. You oh, know? and I'll talk about it in a little bit, but, like, cats kind of had a like, rough go at the same time, just because people started to realize, hey, the Egyptians really like cats, so you might be able to take oh, advantage yeah, of that's that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, but having someone put on a sarcophagus for a pet, I am the triumphant, and I am among the ones that are in the sky. That's pretty sick. That is the silliest use of power and probably state money I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) But it it just shows how important cats became very quickly in this culture. So Very funny. Other scenes in various tombs continue this narrative, showing cats dressed in gold and eating with their owners. And one pharaoh named Pami is also supposedly named after cats because his name means Tomcat or he who belongs to the cat, which refers to one of the feline goddesses in their retinue of deities. But once again, cats weren't worshipped as gods. Rather, they were considered vessels that the gods would choose to adopt. And this is where we kind of begin to get those iconic depictions of those hieroglyphics or paintings of deities with cat heads and different images like that. One of the earliest depictions of feline goddesses can be found in the form of Moftet, which was a protector and embodiment of justice. This goddess was said to help protect the sun god Ra from the serpent Apophis on his nightly journeys through the underworld. Pretty big job, pretty big job. Effectively serving as one of the deities who ensured the sun rose every morning. It's <laughs> kind of important. Yeah, you're in charge of guarding Ra. <laughs> the guy. The, the god, That's yeah. the president of the Egyptian gods. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
talk about a big job just for a little kitty cat today, yeah but it, you're starting to get the steam that this uh culture of course like had for this for this animal well and they knew that they just recognized how if because cats are one of the most efficient hunters in the wild yeah and i mean there's a very small I don't remember how big they are. There's these little cats, I think, in Africa that are yep. considered the deadliest hunters in the yes. world because they're so efficient in finding prey. So, I mean, even if you're, they're little guys, they're still if like super effective at what they do. Yeah, that's uh, the black-footed. I had to Google it because it was at the, the top. Awesome. The black-footed cats, 60% hunting success rate. And they're so little and so cute. <laughs> I am literally looking at... The smallest cat I've ever seen in my life. And they are so, and he just, it's very funny because it's a picture of a very small cat, but a very big bird. <laughs> I kid you not. If you just do go on Google images, but it's very fun. Yeah. And the Egyptians realized how efficient they were at hunting. So they said, well, it makes sense that they're kind of protector deities or they kind of help out to protect the sun god. Yeah. Another prominent example in the feline deities is Sekhmet, who was a warrior goddess who protected pharaohs and sported the head of a lioness. She was actually said to be the daughter of Ra and was sent to punish humans for their crimes. But when she came to punish the humans, she went a bit overboard with her justice. And so Ra proceeded to get her drunk on red beer. And then she went from a lioness to a peaceful kitten who protected the innocent. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so that's, I think it's just hilarious the transition from being a warrior goddess to a protector of the innocent to just you- because your dad got you drunk on, on red beer. Yeah, ew. <laughs> Why does that sound like at the beginning of a very disturbing story? Honestly. I hate that. Yeah, never mind. We're not going to go into that. Sekhmet also represented the most famous of the feline goddesses for a time, which would come to be known as Bastet or Bastet, but as cats were domesticated more and more. Bastet went from a lioness head to a cat head on a human body, and then eventually to a full cat figure. And most of the time, you'll, when you will see an image of Bastet, it will either be full cat or it will be the cat head on the human body. Bastet is known as the goddess of motherhood, fertility, and the household, keeping the house safe from evil spirits and disease, especially those affecting women and children. So still keeping kind of on that feminine side of the deities, not only in the fact that it is a female deity, but also it protects more so the the women and the children because the women are bringing the children into the world. Right. And like you mentioned, cats have that natural instinct to be very guardful of their young. Yep. And also fight off scorpions, <laughs> as I learned today. And they're very fertile. So yeah, I right. Mean- Makes sense. On the note of children, though, Bastet aided in childbirth as well, and she slowly became one of the most famous deities in Egypt, with people wearing amulets and making sculptures to represent her likeness. Her cult center in Egypt was one of the richest in the country, and people traveled from all over to have their cats interred there, and there's even said to have been orgy festivals held there yearly to reflect on the fertility of cats. Okay, so now it gets a little weird. (laughs) It's been, yes, Egypt has a few weird traditions. Very, like we're talking human orgies, right? We're not talking cat orgies. They're not orchestrated cat orgies. Either way, not great. 
but I'm glad it's not just like, let's all bring our cats together. And that'd just be even weirder. This is the same people that had the pharaohs and a bunch of guys jerk off into the Nile River for fertility festivals. So I'm assuming this kind of happened around the same time. But Egypt's, Egyptians, very focused on fertility. Yeah. I mean, you're living in a Nile River basin, you kind of need fertility. Right. They're like, if this river drives up, we are effed. Effed. Bastet was said to maintain harmony and balance in the Egyptian culture, and it kind of showed through population control, population control specifically of cats. Herodotus touches on this population control aspect in his histories, discussing how male cats would sneak into the homes of fresh mother cats and take and kill their kittens, which they would do in order to mate once again with the female, since the female had no interest in mating if they had their kittens. And this also ensured that the feline population didn't spiral out of control and get way too big. Man, so, those cats are dogs. Yeah. <laughs> These male cats are like, well, you, don't, you have no interest in me, then I'll kill your children. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so now it's less cute. It is. But it, I mean, it's a natural form of self-preservation. Right. You know, it's natural population control. Mm-hmm. When you're... They got so powerful, their greatest predator was the men. Themselves. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, <laughs> the specifically. Men. The men. Ooh, if only Ooh. The, it's a good thing the human culture doesn't represent that today. Yeah. <laughs> but needless to say, cats were held in high esteem in Egypt. For example, if houses were burning in order to honor Bastet, families wouldn't worry as much about the home as they would about patrolling the outside of the home to make sure no cats went into the house and burned alive in the flames. Another thing, we love cats. They are kind of silly. They definitely are silly. It's nice and warm in there. Yeah. Ooh. It's like an internal sun. Yeah. Let's go into the sun's here. <laughs> let's run. Portable sun? Huh. Once again, according to Herodotus, quote, if a house catches fire, what happens to the cats is quite extraordinary. The Egyptians do not bother to put the fire out, but position themselves at intervals around the house and look out for the cats. The cats slip between them, however, and even jump over them and dash into the fire. This plunges the Egyptians into deep grief. In households where a cat dies a natural death, all the people living there shave off their eyebrows, nothing more. In households where a dog dies, they shave their whole bodies, head and all. End quote. That's massive respect for the animals. Yeah. But again, it's a huge part of the culture because these animals keep them safe. Right, exactly. Illnesses and, or just like, you know, Great hangs. Both both are important, both. I think. <laughs> Keeping the vibes and yeah. protecting the house. But this passage, as you mentioned, not only proves how important cats were, but just how much the Egyptians respected animals in general. I mean, they have had different penalties, I guess you could call them, for cats and dogs. And mm-hmm. if you they had different people in charge of protecting the livestock and stuff, and if people were found to have killed livestock or killed cats penalty was most likely death so they took this stuff very seriously oh absolutely it was like the same as basically killing a human yeah so cat killing and some other animals as i just mentioned was prohibited and punishable by death in most cases however thousands of cats were also ritually killed to be used as offerings to deities like bastet these cats would sometimes be mummified and buried carefully wrapped with ornamental head coverings while others were encased in statues and sarcophagi, as mentioned earlier. These types of findings were so common in Egypt that the British troops eventually shipped over 180,000 of them in a single shipment to be used as fertilizer. So these sarcophagi and mummified cats were very common. 
A hundred and eighty thousand. Yeah, is- I mean, they would do thousands. Thousands would be ritually killed every year in Egypt, right? As sacrifice. So, I mean, what makes sense? They'd find a lot of them. That's also the most British thing that you've yeah. ever seen. Like, oh wow, this uh, ancient people's holy. I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say like holy item because they adored cats so much. Like, let's use it as fertilizer. Another person's culture. Let's destroy it. Is that an old pharaoh that belongs to them? Let's take it. Let's take it. But as with other places, some cats would be buried with their humans in an effort to reunite them with their owners in the afterlife. This reverence of cats would come to hinder Egypt eventually, because when the Persians painted images of cats on their shields, they pretty easily defeated the Egyptians in battle because of how much they revered the image of cats. But the cat would maintain its glory in Egypt until Christianity arrived around the 4th century AD, when it just became kind of another household pet. Whereas cats were the main pest control in many areas, the Romans and Greeks actually chose weasels and ferrets before the cat, but eventually they became the primary source of rodent extermination there, and became a symbol of freedom. They were even privileged with being the only animals allowed inside religious temples in Roman Greece. But the reputation would slowly diminish as times approached the Middle Ages, with images like the Cat Sith, which was a fairy that appeared like a black cat with a white patch on its chest, beginning to pop up in Celtic folklore, and religious groups began to associate the cat with the devil and with witchcraft. As 12th century English writer and churchman Walter Mapp said, quote, The devil descends as a black cat before his devotees. The worshippers put out the light and draw near to the place where they saw their master. They feel after him, and when they have found him, they kiss him under the tail. End quote. Which is kind of weird. Oh, yeah, I have that same quote later, but like a little more in depth. <laughs> Kissing like cat butts. <laughs> Just like to finish that quote, like, I won't read the entire thing, but it's also like, they also kiss their genitals. <laughs> like the cat's, this cat cod's genitals. Why do these guys think about cat genitals so much? It's so weird. But the sentiment would carry on for centuries, and Evan's going to tell us more about the ironic consequences that this negative stigma attached to cats was going to cause for Europe specifically. Yeah, in Europe, and like specifically during the Middle Ages time, before we hit the Black Death, cats definitely on the decline went in popularity. Th- went through it. <laughs> when they had a time, I am telling you, but not a good time. They were only regarded as useful pest control options, and that was like, so that's like the best way to view them. The counterpoint was that they were agents of Satan and owed their entire life to the devil. Yeah, you got, it can't be somewhere in the middle there. There's no middle ground. <laughs> no. It's either one or the other, really. And a lot of this is actually due to the widespread acceptance of Christianity in Europe. Again, they were only considered valuable in pest control. However, if you kept one as a pet, and I'll get into it later, you're a witch, <laughs> to <laughs> yep. put it blankly. So the cat lost its former position through the efforts of the medieval, the Catholic Church, uh, which encouraged the association of the cat with devils and images of darkness, your demons, and a lot of paintings cats are used. like It's the same, like we mentioned before, with Egyptology and hieroglyphics where cats were used to portray God and this bright, like, good thing. They're used in the same way, but the bad guys have cat heads. Yeah. In fact, scholar Desmond Morris writes, and I quote here, 
Religious bigots have often employed the cunning device of converting other people's heroes into villains to suit their own purposes. In this way, the ancient horned god that protected earlier cultures was first transformed into the evil, uh, the evil devil of Christianity, and the revered sacred feline of ancient Egypt became the wicked sorcerer's cat of medieval Europe. Many things considered holy by a previous religious faith have automatically been damned by a new religion. In this way began the darkest chapter in the cat's long association with mankind. For centuries, it was persecuted, and the cruelties heaped upon it were given the full backing of the church. End quote. I mean, that kind of is seen a lot of times, like in even in modern day religious circles. The image of Baphomet, which is yeah. most mostly associated with Satanism or the Satanic Church, whatever part of it you want to associate it with. But I mean, Baphomet in reality is just a symbol of duality. You know, it's both male and female. It has the balanced scales and everything. Yep. And it pretty much just tries to symbolize maintaining that flow of equilibrium in life. But they've kind of taken it because it's a horned goat person and associated as an agent of the devil. Yeah, like the devil today even isn't when you think of like images it's with horns, right? That's never mentioned in the Bible. Like the devil does not have horns in the right. Bible. Like that's not in any single verse. It's all through I would say the adaptation or I guess let's call it creative no liberties license yeah <laughs> and i mean the devil wasn't even red at the beginning he, no. he was green at the <laughs> yeah, beginning and right. also, it's like it's gone through a lot of transformations right. to get to where we have him today right right but uh even though the majority of the population of medieval europe was illiterate this would not have mattered since stories like this of you know witchcraft of the devil being a horned goat etc etc were transmitted orally. And stories associating the cat with darkness, witchcraft, and the underworld, coupled with the church's efforts at demonizing the values of earlier faiths, would have gone very far to condemning the cat to a subpar existence. And I mean, what's an easier way to convince an illiterate people than draw a bunch of pictures, you know? Right, yeah. That, that, why do you think there are so many images of cats being evil figures and stuff in the Middle Ages? I mean, that literally still happens every election season. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're opposing, can the, the opposing views candidate is always like an unflattering picture, right? So right. Like liberals will always have a very bad image of the Republican uh, candidate and vice versa. Right, yeah. so it's always it's the same tactics. It's it's so much easier than explaining it is just drawing a picture and showing it to a group of people who can't read. Like <laughs> right. you know, it really does push an agenda in a way that is very effective for the people of the time. Catholic Church, probably the best agenda pushers of all time. They're I'm gonna, gonna say it. They're good at propaganda. I'm gonna say it. <laughs> Further contributing to the cat's per reputation was its association with the feminine which was carried over, like Jacob mentioned, from Egypt, and the poor light in which women in the early Middle Ages were actually viewed. Wait, you're saying that women haven't always had it as good as they have it today, completely equal to men in every single way? You know what? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, women have had a very tough time, but prior to the popularization of the cult of the Virgin Mary, 
which basically ranged from 1000 AD to 1300 AD, women were closely associated with Eve and the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, that classic story in the Bible. And women were considered innately sinful, lusty, and responsible for man's first fall, as well as, and I quote, whatever struggles each individual man after Adam had to endure. And because cats were feminine and depicted in these Egyptian paintings, or just per associated with Egyptology, the two got combined, and cats kind of got the worst of it, just being compared or just like saw it as like a little feminine. I didn't really think about this until right now when you've mentioned that, but how many times they've tried to associate the fall of man with a woman? Not only Eve right away off the bat, but then cats, and also the image of Lilith that has come up throughout the, demon, the times. Yeah, yeah. It's the fact that she was part of the reason why man fell, and she was this evil evil angel that was working in association with the with Satan in the garden. And I never really realized how many times they try and feminize it, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Lilith, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't she, and this could be completely wrong, but wasn't she the proposed like first wife of Adam, but like things yeah. didn't work yeah. out. Yeah, so I actually. And then she became like the dark, like one of the archangels when or we first, arc devils. Whatever. Yeah, when we first started this show, I actually did a lot of research into Lilith because I was thinking about doing an episode on her, which we we still should because it's kind of fascinating. Uh, but yeah, they they really try and pin a lot on the Lilith as being like she's the real source of all the bad. Oh, uh, after doing a quick search, and I quote, in the creation story, and I quote here from Kenyon College, in the creation story, she refuses to allow Adam to dominate her and flees the garden despite the consequences. In order to retain her freedom, she must give up her children. <laughs> in retaliation, she steals the seed of Adam. So I remember all the, the, you remember that from the Bible? No, that's when Adam not a, tries to rape, rape Lilith. I do not remember that in the Bible. That I, one got cut. Yeah, I, think, I don't think they taught us that in Lutheran grade school. No, no. But anyways, back to cats. Yeah, back to cats. But you can just see like cats are perceived as feminine and women at the time in the Middle Ages. They're literally blamed for the fall of man oh, in yeah. this Christian dominated continent. I mean, when we talked about Queen Joanna of Naples, they tried to blame her for the plague. That's right. Because when she went into yeah. uh, the Avignon to go visit the Pope, everyone went to gather to see her because they're like, she committed the worst sin, so this must be the reason why we're suffering. Yeah, right. The Catholic Church also vilified the Jews as Christ killers, and during the entire length of the Middle Ages in Europe, Jews were linked to the cat as well. Jews were said to worship the cat, were able to transform themselves into cats to sneak into Christian homes to practice mischief or cast spells, and were also believed to crucify cats as a mockery of Christ's death on the cross. This is very ironic because I I've been rewatching Key and Peel because it's on Netflix. Oh, so good! And uh, I literally just watched an episode last night uh, where they are trying to hide from Nazis in like a German house mm -hmm. and oh, yeah, the Nazi right. commander brings out a cat toy and tries to like trick them into admitting that they're black or that they're Jewish. Yeah. And after he leaves, one of them starts playing with the cat toy. <laughs> yeah. And I never realized that that was actually a thing that, that they tried to attach to Jewish people, but Oh yeah. yeah. They, they definitely did. Uh, I'm just glad that no one's ever blamed the Jews for anything since then. Right. After that clean slate. Don't take that seriously, please. 
these. <laughs> We've said a few of those, yeah. <laughs> uh, at the same time, medieval Christians also found the cat useful for pest control, and they still were very frequent visitors to merchants and ships, and they considered them, again, just useful for guarding your storage spaces for food. So like the same useful practice was still there, it's just they may also be seeds of the devil. <laughs> You've got to be very careful around them. This is also when the practice of, I, there's no way I'm getting this pronunciation right, Iluromancy, by which one could predict the future by observing a cat's movements, made an appearance. For the most part, Iluromancy only involved watching a cat whose behavior was thought to be able to predict the weather, an unexpected guest at the door, and other such things. This practice took a decidedly nasty turn, however, in a ritual known as the Tog Harem, particularly practiced in Scotland. And if you don't want to hear about grizzly cat murders, hits, I would probably say skip the next 60 seconds. If you don't want to say alluromancy anymore, you can say philidomancy. Philidom- That's another word for it. This is l- the spelling. It's just much different. It's very yeah. funny. But. Uh, the practice of Tog Harem, a person would take a cat and roast it alive over an open flame, turning it on a spit. The cat would scream in agony, and this would summon the devil to protect one of his own. The devil would then plead with the person to end the cat's suffering, but the person would hold out until the devil had promised to fulfill a certain request, oftentimes a prediction of the future. Once the request was met, the cat would then be put out of its misery. I do love the fact that they think that the literal devil, the father of evil, all-powerful, fought God, that he would care so much about a singular cat when he has millions of them in the world that he's going to plead with you to stop murdering one of them. Right. The guy, or I guess the being that's literally trying to commit the downfall of humanity... Is worried about this cat. This is like, to throw it back to our last episode, this is like the Irish revolutionary yeah. <laughs> suggesting you to invade Canada yeah. to get back Ireland's freedom. <laughs> Honestly. The cat was further linked with the demonic through the work of the writer Walter Mapp, which Jacob quoted before, who claimed that the religious movement of the Paterines, who were seeking reforms in the Catholic Church, Worship the cat as part of their dark rituals. Map reports how those Christians who had fallen into sin and error in joining the Paterines, but who had since returned to the true faith, gave this report of a ritual regularly observed. And that will be... Is this the cat buttholes? At the first... Yeah, and I quote here. At the first watch of the night, with their doors, entrances, and windows closed, the families sit in silence each in there, and I quote, synagogue, and wait. And in the middle of them comes, hanging by a rope, a black cat of great size. As soon as they see this cat, the lights are turned out. They do not sing or recite hymns in a distinct way, but they mutter them with their teeth closed, and they feel in the dark towards where they saw their lord land, and when they find it, they kiss it and more humbly, depending on their folly, some on the paws, some under the tail, and some on the genitals. End quote. (laughs) 
It's just so weird. But like Walter Mapp, he's in this particular passage, he's describing Christians who came back from this, uh, let's call it break off sect, the Paterines of Christianity. Yeah. So he, and he drops the word synagogue, which is just directly at the Jews. Like yeah. this is just, he's describing people that were Christian fell out and then came back yeah and calls it that they were meeting in a synagogue like that's just it's, it's just, probably the juice well i mean yeah that's i also love the image of people singing through clenched teeth but i i I'll, I, uh, I don't know why, <laughs> i don't know why i immediately thought of the new year's song where it's like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect it's the first song that popped into my head but it's just very funny imagining people at Times Square. Right, right. But Map's story, which was corroborated nowhere else and most likely satirical, actually became so widespread and repeated that it seems to have actually factored into the papal bull which condemned cats. And if you're not familiar with what a papal bull is, it's when a pape, it's when a pape, it's when a pope makes essentially a new rule for Christianity. And Pope Gregory the Ninth, in response to growing reports of heresy throughout Europe, sent the Inquisitor Conrad von Marburg to Germany to root out heretics by whatever means he felt necessary. Conrad sent the Pope back a report of insidious rites enacted, which sounds exactly like Mapp's earlier account, that quote that I just read, but with a frog in the mix. So imagine, it's, so he's the it's a cat so, and a frog. So it's not the weirdest only, zoo of all time. So Walter Mapp is the original Onion. Yes, and this, yes, this yeah. Inquisitor is the original Alex Jones. Oh my, yeah, all and, of the characters are here. <laughs> history repeats itself, man. Pope Gregory the Ninth responded by issuing the bull Vox in Rama in twelve thirty three, which denounced cats, especially black cats, as evil and in league with Satan. Conrad specifically accused the German noble Henry III of participating in these rituals, but Henry was able to clear his name before a tribunal and retained his position. Conrad, the Inquisitor, would then mysteriously get murdered shortly afterwards. The account Conrad gave Pope Gregory IX could not be corroborated by any other Inquisitor or anyone else at all except for basically the lay people getting wind of the story. Again, no one can read at this time, and educations are very hard to come by. But this was basically ingrained in the public consciousness after 1233. So, so did stories go around that frog people killed this guy? Basically, yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. This is basically Alex Jones. Like, yeah. Alex Jones with, like, the frogs are gay or whatever. I'm, I'm just waiting for QAnon to show up somewhere. Yeah, right. However, the contents of Pope Gregory IX's bull came to public attention. Again, not a lot of people could actually read said bull. I'm now starting to realize that this is probably where the phrase bullshit came from. <laughs> but regardless, it was bad no, actually, news. Actually, phrase bullshit came from the fact that there was something to do with the fact that female, it was something to do with the fact that fertilizer couldn't be got from bulls. It came from female cows, like milk-producing cows. Oh. And so there's people that were selling bull feces yeah. to people as fertilizer, but it didn't do anything. So then they realized oh. that that 
was bullshit. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's where that came from. And then the, can you imagine the first person being like, hey, this is bullshit. The guys behind him are like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> There's your useful fertilizer information wow. from the Gems of History podcast. We didn't even talk about the weather today. Um, elder, elderly women who kept cats were especially vulnerable to the charge of witchcraft, as scholar Virginia C. Holmgren notes. And, and I quote here, An old woman living alone with no kin to give aid often cherished a cat as a dear friend and only companion. Cats and crone were always together. The cat making play out of any work, especially the task of trying to sweep the dooryard with a scraggly twig broom. Any villager hiding in the bushes to spy for proof of witchery might see the cat pounce on the twig bundle for a ride across the bumpy ground, and broom and cats be airborne for a brief moment of contact with a hidden rock. At that very moment, in a nearby castle, another beloved cat might be taking the same playful ride on her lady's silken train as she crossed from window to mirror with those close by smiling fondly. But there were smiles on the faces of those spying villagers as they raced home to report proof of witchcraft in action. So basically, the classic depiction of a witch riding a broom very well could be a cat riding a broom and people being like, that cat's flying, how is she doing that? I just love the fact that they were like, cats love playing with stuff that moves. Right. Let's just move some stuff Let's around. move some things. Yeah. Also, apparently, according to Google, I was wrong, and the word bull itself comes from the old French, meaning fraud or deceit. So, I it's apparently not true. So we were both incorrect. Wow. Yes. <laughs> but I, I, do, I do like to think that mine is funnier. Yeah. The outbreak of the bubonic plague in 1348 has often been blamed on a widespread massacre of cats following Pope Gregory IX's Vox and Rama. The incidence of plague from 1233 to 1348 can be traced to larger numbers of parasite-carrying rodents who were allowed to thrive in the, in the absence of a large cat population. The people of the Middle Ages had no idea that the plague was caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis, and accepted the church's opinion that it was sent by God as a punishment for sin. Cats continued to be vilified and killed because people continued to view them through the lens of the church as evil and worthless. Pretty ironic. Yeah, the Pope kind of led to the downfall, downfall of an entire Europe, yeah, the so entire continent. If you're ever wondering where the idea that black cats are bad luck came from, it's pretty much this time Pope period. Gregory the Ninth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's him and it's the, the Celtic folklore of the, the cat Sith being bad. Yep. Yeah, you, you get a bunch of... The cat Sith is the first one that I could find that specifically listed it as black cats. So it's, it's very interesting that that's tagged on to everything else going forward. Oh, totally. And then after the rat population grew, they were like, it, I'm pretty sure it's still the cats. It's still, yeah, they kept on killing cats. They yeah. just, like, they were... When you look at your surroundings through the lens of the church, in this case, what the church says goes, yeah, that's kill cats. That's what's causing the sin. When you are trying to blame someone who's sinning enough to cause this giant catastrophe, and you're probably associating it with witchcraft and the yeah. devil. So, I mean, you get those familiars of those witches. And it's, it starts very early. It's very funny that people used a cat, which was probably just like sitting there licking its paws as the scapegoat for the bubonic plague. 
That thing's not covered in shit. Yeah. <laughs> Go kill it. Kill it. Scholar Desmond Morris cites the continued persecution of cats throughout the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance, noting how, quote, as late as 1658, Edward Topsell, who was a historian, in his serious work on natural history, wrote, The familiars of witches do most ordinarily appear in the shape of cats, which is an argument that this beast is dangerous to soul and body. End quote. So, that is a real-life historian in 1658 writing a real-life history about how witches can be cats and how cats are dangerous to the soul because of that. <laughs> it makes total it tracks. The Protestant Reformation broke the power hold of the church over people's lives and allowed for greater, greater freedom and thought. Although, as always, there were people like Edward Topsell who clung to earlier beliefs. People were, however, now free to question the church's views of life in general, and this led to, I guess, the freedom of cats. The spirit of the Enlightenment age also encouraged people to keep cats as pets simply for the joy of companionship, and this trend would become more commonplace during the Victorian age, when Queen Victoria returned the cat to the status it enjoyed in ancient Egypt. Yeah, and that's kind of where the story gets to where we are now almost because after the middle ages that stigma did stick around with cats for a very long time it didn't just fade out right away and basically throughout all of the 18th century cats were still only seen as if anything utilitarian or utilitarian utilitarian <laughs> well they were units and <laughs> yeah and even when the 19th century rolled around, it took a while for the view of cats to completely change. But as Evan mentioned, in the 1830s, when Queen Victoria kind of took over and that Victoria era began, legislation started getting passed around Britain that started to protect cats in addition to other animals. But at the beginning, it really only mattered in terms of household pets, and it didn't really apply to wild animals. And... This left lots of cats out on the streets to fend for themselves, and reports started to come in of cats being skinned alive to make rugs. They were thrown in ditches. There was people that had dogs as pets who were willing, like, deliberately sending their dogs to attack cats, even if they were household pets of other people. And there's even reports of people who... So there's a, a fad going around. In France, it was kind of huge, where there were these people that could eat to, like supposedly eat anything and they're kind of just seen as these marvels of humanity and so there is people betting them to, to eat whole cats and stuff like that so they didn't even escape in these weird bets that were going on in the time period i don't one of the try most... not to swear but like how can you be so screwed up that you skin a cat alive i i don't know man like that is, or I guess also eating a cat. That's very yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the most famous guys that was doing stuff like that. His name is Tarar. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. He told me about yeah, this. Yeah, so he's a, he's quite the character. But I mean, I don't know what it was about cats that people were like, "Hey, we can make rugs out of this." But I guess it was a very popular thing to do. Who wants a cat rug? It's so small. <laughs> do you think? Yeah, it doesn't cover anything. Like, oh, the rug really ties everything together. It's just a yeah. Cat. Don't mind my husband; he's in the other room making more, and you're just you're screaming cats. Oh, that that makes me throw up. 
But Queen Victoria, she loved animals, and she made sure to make moves to see that they were just as protected as other animals like dogs and wild birds, and she even included them on the seal of the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, otherwise known as the RSPCA. And she even had a plethora of pets of her own, such as a cat named White Heather. Evidences of roaming vendors began to pop up that were feeding cats with little meat uh, kebab type things on the streets, which is kind of cute. Oh, and this showed that the tide of public opinion was slowly beginning to shift more towards the cat's favor. People began to take in more and more cats as pets, breaking that stigma that pets in general, especially domestic cats, were too frivolous or snobby for a normal person to have. Manuals began to pop up on how to care for specific types of pets, new health remedies were marketed, and pet cemeteries were even beginning to open up in Britain and other areas. One man named Harrison Weir, he began to really see the merit of feline companions and actually started to market them as good pets. And this was kind of the late, later part of the 19th century, kind of the 1860s. His mindset actually started as not liking cats too much, and then it shifted from not liking them to thinking they were one of the best animals to own after he kind of began to view them more as a possible pet, and he just kind of observed them and realized, no, these these things are pretty cool. That's the best. Like It, it honestly makes me think of the grandpa from Up. Yeah. How he's like, I don't like kids. Like, basically takes in a kid. Yeah. I don't like dogs. Literally gets a dog. The best dog. <laughs> the best dog that can talk. But yeah, it's funny because he there's a, an account of him being on the train on the way to this event, and he begins to talk to his friend about how he's hosting all these cat events and stuff like that, and his friend's like, oh, it's a shame. I don't like cats. And he, t- he said he talked for, like, five to ten minutes straight oh. on why cats were awesome, and his friend's like, listen... It's great that you like cats. I just don't like them. So just drop this. <laughs> That's honest. Like, I get it. That's literally me with both of my dogs now. Like, since my fiance has also an identical dog to Zuki. So, yeah. like, that's just, that's exactly, I totally get that. I love seeing people get really passionate about something and just don't realize that they're going way overboard with it. And then their friend's like, buddy, calm down. Right. That applies to me with dogs like i mentioned also obscure lord of the rings facts <laughs> yeah. so weir's after weir's mindset shifted from not liking cats to really liking cats he it led him to organize the first ever cat show in england it would judge different breeds and give out awards leading to the start of a national cat club and it was a little before this time period where we began to really see the selective breeding of cats into getting different sp- different types of breeds of cats, more varied, oh, yeah. varied patterns on the on the fur of cats and stuff like that. And that actually is something how people could tell the difference between wild and domestic cats is the patterns on their fur began to change as they began to breed them differently and stuff. And so they got different structure to the patterns on their skin on their fur. That's extremely interesting because with dogs, that that like that happened almost immediately after they were domesticated. Or you start to breed and yeah. like get them more chill, I guess. Yeah. And like stop biting, biting. I guess it helps that cats were already kind of just docile from the right. beginning and they just wanted to eat. 
right cats they were just trying to like do the aesthetic yeah like make them look a certain way (laughs) (laughs) so weir himself would be president of the national cat club for a time but eventually the members of the club began to get snobby about being in the club and would look down on any cats that belonged to common folks or non-members so he left the club because he felt that the spirit that he started it with had pretty much been annihilated that is the most cat owner thing i'm sorry for all cat owners but that sounds very and the british yeah Yeah. that sounds very british cat owner yeah rephrase it all but the precedent was set for cats being good companions at this point and the attitude really did shift pretty rapidly afterwards cats became more and more integrated into everyday life and began to move more and more into people's homes and in America, the similar sentiment soon followed, and the ASPCA was founded, replacing the royal modifier with an American one. And more and more advertising began to feature cats that are friendly companions. Artists were featuring more felines in a positive light in their works. And people began to take after role models like Queen Victoria in the arena of owning pets and treating them well. It took a while, it took longer for men to get rid of those negative connotations towards cats. They still felt like they were lazy or frivolous compared to dogs for a long time, but eventually they did come around. And pets also helped in the household for being a good moral barometer and aided in raising children who it, it just kind of taught them responsibility in an easier and definitely a safer way than sending them off to like the, uh, the industrial buildings and work yeah and stuff like that <laughs> just like why don't you try raising a cat first? why don't you just yeah take care of this cat that pretty much takes care of itself Here, here's a rabbit just don't kill it right it's basically here's a cactus try not to <laughs> give it like try not to have it dehydrate yeah, like it's very easy spritz it with water every other yeah. day but it's very interesting you'd probably be pretty hard pressed nowadays to go into a home without some sort of pet yeah and i'm just thinking about a lot of our friends personally and they all have some sort of pet yeah so it nearly today or today nearly half of households in america house cats specifically and some countries like russia or ukraine boast even higher numbers than in america and in britain they even have a chief mouser of the cabinet office in the older government older government buildings to help keep up with the rodents the current one's name is Larry, and he has served in the position for over a decade, and I believe... With an iron paw. <laughs> like, four or five different prime ministers, so he is doing good. He's that, adorable. That, that makes... Does he have a powdered wig? No, but he has a little bow. It's really cute. But I think, overall, it's safe to say that as of today, cats are no longer devils or witches' familiars, but rather part of the family. I know I probably say this after every episode, but what a wild story for the cat. Yeah. Like, to go from being the figureheads of, like, Amun-Ra, or, like, all the Egyptian gods that you mentioned, to then being considered witches, and witches can turn into these things, and also having negative racial things attached to them as well. Yeah. With, like... Like the Jewish population in medieval Europe being associated with cats and the fact that Jews, quote unquote, could turn into cats. To now being like in every, like half the homes in America and even more in other Eastern countries. A staple almost, yeah. It's it's very funny to see that, I mean, we adapted, humans adapted them for practical purpose and it very quickly turned into just, what could we use these for in any 
any arena of life. Right. It could be politics, religion, just like domestic home life, religion, like like deities. It's it's crazy. And now, now I have two dogs that just are my entire world. So yep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and my fiance, but (laughs) she comes with the dog. With a dog, yeah. (laughs) But yeah. I was surprised to find, I mean, I knew there was a lot of stuff associated with cats, but the fact that we almost came up with an outline that was as long as as some of our very well-researched topics that we've done, not that art, not that this wasn't well-researched, but like the Catalpa, I read a 400-page book and the outline was almost as long. So it's just funny. The first thing, because I didn't know that we were doing cats until Jacob and I recorded after last week, and we talked a little bit about uh, our game plan for the next few weeks. And he said, or I was just curious, like, oh, like, what was the list? Like, what did the poll end up being on Patreon? And he said, the history of cats. And I looked at him like, shut up. <laughs> like, there's no, like, <laughs> yeah. there's no way. Yep. Be, but then I looked and it, yeah, sure enough. I mean, it, it is an interesting topic. All things considered, in my in my opinion. It's just very funny again. One last time I'll bring up the history of dogs episode. Like that one was 35 minutes, and I was struggling to find <laughs> any content because there just was none. Like dogs, I guess really haven't had as much of like a like religious aspect, if you will, or like they weren't persecuted yeah, I was in gonna the medieval say, ages, right? They didn't have a run where they were blamed for everything. Yeah, no one's blaming a dog for anything except like being too cute. Yep. <laughs> you were just too adorable. But yeah, quite a few pages of notes. On I mean, this I, one. It, how are you going to get mad at a dog when it sits in the corner after you ask if it did something? <laughs> just, yeah, it's like, hmm? was it me? Yeah. But man, what one up. That's the history of cats, baby. I know this is the usual point where I ask for, or I, where I tell you guys like where to continue the conversation. You know what? All of our social medias just send us pictures of your cats. Yes, please. So you can find us at gems underscore history on Twitter. You can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco, myself at whatevskis on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. You can find us at Gems of History Podcast, the Facebook in particular is a discussion group so if you want to get in touch with us and again flood that page with cat pictures we would absolutely appreciate it then last but not least you can find us on patreon.com slash gems of history podcast that uh, we currently have a just one level of sponsorship where you can get these awesome stickers you can get early access to episodes and we are constantly talking to ourselves i guess about how to make it the best possible uh channel for our listeners so we'll have some exciting stuff coming up but uh feel free to subscribe and anything that you give is very much appreciative so yeah definitely uh i've I've been constantly forgetting to mention what sources i used for episodes same um but for this one, there is a guy on YouTube. He's like the self-titled cat daddy. Uh, his name is Jackson Galaxy. He was on Animal Planet and stuff for a while. But he has a two-part video on the history of cats that I used for part of this. Uh, thecollector.com, worldhistory.org, Library of Congress, surprisingly. <laughs> Very yeah, funny. <laughs> yeah, so th- those are the main ones that I use for a lot of what I used for today. 
Yes, and for my sources, Jacob mentioned worldhistory.org. Yeah, they're they're great. I love that website. Yeah. Uh, it's got a lot of really good free history information on there. Um, but also uh, on Patreon, if you guys would like us to try some other things on there, let us know what suggestions you have, if it's within the realm of possibility for us to try and do. Like maybe we could do like a monthly interview with someone that you guys would recommend that we talk to or something like that. Maybe we could try and set something like that up. But yeah. I, I just thought about that when I was watching Jackson Galaxy. I'm like, wow, it'd be really good if we could have him on for the episode. But I mean, didn't have time to get a hold of him, obviously. But yeah, entirely up to suggestions. I mean, if you guys want us to produce other types of content specifically for Patreon, we're all ears. We'll see. That might require you guys to, you know, if we reach 25 subscribers to our Patreon, we release. <laughs> And then, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's it's time dependent. I mean, both of us still work full time jobs and stuff like that. So, this is, after all, just a, an addendum to everything else that we do in our normal lives. So, we'll try our best to give you guys the everything that we can. And, well, like Evan said, we appreciate all of you that have donated so far, and thank you to everyone who is listening in general. We really do appreciate all of you, and we hope you all have a great week this week. Thank you for listening. Stay polished.